Hey guys, welcome to Treat Up Podcast with hosts Kevin Atwood and Stephen Skaggs. Brought to you by Wild Leg Productions. Hey everybody, welcome back to Treat Up Podcast. Uh, thanks for tuning in tonight. Uh, got Stephen Skaggs riding shotgun with me. And- hey guys. We're sitting down tonight to talk to uh, guest Andy Curley. And Andy, if you could, go ahead and let everybody know who they're talking to. I'm Andy Curley. I'm from Goodwater, Alabama. I believe you've primarily hunted pies for several years. And that's all I've ever really hunted. I've hunted, uh, I guess, kind of like some of the cur or hound guys. I've hunted a cur or hound, but, you know, I've never really uh, gone that way. I've always just kind of stuck with feist dogs. Yeah. What uh, what got you into the, the tree dogs? I just family members you know when i was real little i remember going with my uncle's plot hound with it i don't guess we ever really did anything i remember falling in a creek i think i was probably five six years old i guess i saw my real first squirrel dog one of my cousins had a little pup i thought it you know just because it was tricolored i said is that a little beagle puppy and he said no it's a squirrel dog it's a feist and he said come on out back and he took me out back in his backyard and he told his little dog kate said go in there and get me a squirrel and she shot into the woods she was probably four or five months old and uh, I heard her start barking and a squirrel started bailing out of the tree and I said well I need I need one of those <laughs> don't we all and that was probably back in I don't know maybe 2000 2001 somewhere around in there mm-hmm. what are you hunting now in the feist line I've been hunting the quicks champ bloodline for a good long time now I guess since 2009 or 2010 when I got my first uh champ dog and they come from arkansas james quick and bill douglas yes they kind of started that line and the first dogs that you know really got famous were off a of champ and a dog named freckles uh, pedro was one of them jeff oxford on him he won the world hunt out in arkansas one year wow. uh, against cur dogs and feist and then uh tony keller had a dog named champ jr and brent woods had one off the same cross named Missy, and they were all three litter mates, and all of them were outstanding dogs. They called them Arkansas Greyhounds, I think is what people started calling them out there. <laughs> oh, wow. If I understand it correctly, these feists can can range a little bit in size. So are, are you these feists that you're hunting, do they tend to lean more toward the larger end of the feist dog? You could say maybe taller, but they're not. They don't weigh a lot. You know, they may, some of the males, you know, may get up to that 30-pound range, but most of the females are in between 18, 22 pounds. They look, they may look a lot bigger like on, on the computer just because of the way they're built. But when you see them in person, people have always been like, man, that dog's a lot smaller, you know, in person. Uh, I've had people say that about Juice, Ellie. So they, they just, I guess the way they're built, real leggy, uh, streamlined. They're built different than, say, like, uh, I guess you'd call them the pony-eared, prick-eared dogs that are kind of stockier built different build but that's just different regions of the country have different type of feist you just described my little dog uh, the little uh, i've got a buckley and uh, I, I really do like feist just wondering why what do you like about the feist as compared to uh, the other thing well it's different types of feist and the different lines of feist i really look at and if i weren't hunting this line of feist i, I may not hunt a feist uh, unless you know, I'm just wanting one just to kill squirrels with. And that's just how I feel about the dogs that I'm hunting or what I would prefer. If I couldn't hunt these, I would try to find some kind of Stevens hound bird dog type mix. That's what, I, that's what I'd probably hunt. Or if I wanted a cur, I'd probably call Adam O'Donnell and some guys like that that yeah, have yeah. proven track record with their dogs. So. Yeah, those porcupine mountain dogs, they, those come up a lot. Gosh, yeah, you, you hear so <laughs> yeah. much about those dogs right now. The, yeah. the line you're hunting, what's their hunting look like? Are they that get-gone dog? Are they hunting deep, or, or how are they hunting? They can be. Even with this line, you know, you might have different strains. Certain crosses do certain things. Other crosses may not do the things that the other ones did in this bloodline, most of mine will range out a long way. You know, we've we've had to go get them eight, nine hundred yards or chase them down two miles away. <laughs> Good grief. We, yeah. had to, we, we had to do that in uh, the uh, Arkansas State Feist, or maybe in the Louisiana State Feist hunt. They were back-to-back days. I can't remember which one, but it was the last hunt of that weekend. And uh, Diamond and a buddy of ours, John Hammock, his dog Rio, for some reason – they just decided it was time to try to go back to Alabama from right there. <laughs> Shane Mason finally cut them off. He knew the roads out there, and he cut them off, and we caught them. But it was we were a long, a long ways from where we cast them. But that's kind of abnormal, you know. It's not, 
it is not abnormal for them to go five, six hundred yards and get treated wow. if nothing's out. Yeah, uh, that, and they can do it pretty quick, you know. Yeah, that was actually one question I was going to ask, and we asked that before. Is that, do you, uh, if your dog's not hunting that far enough, do you push him to hunt further? But it don't sound like you're having that issue. Yeah, I don't have to. Um, every now and then, young dogs, you may kind of push them just a little bit, and then they, they kind of gets in their head, hey, I, it's time for me to just go on, and they just naturally will go on. I don't think you can, you know, switch a dog, get on it, shock it, or anything like that to make it go. You can do all those things to make it not go. I don't think you can train them to go. Yes. Now, there may be exceptions to that rule, but I think that's just natural. I think that's something that we get. That, that's an ongoing thing when, uh, with most of our guests we're talking about. It. You can pull them back. You, you can't put the drive in them. Yeah. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the reasons that I like this line is because they do that. You know, in bad conditions, what I've seen with a lot of feist, they may not hunt as hard, uh, they may not get treed, or they may quit, and they may get scratched for not hunting. I don't want that, uh, but you never know when a dog may do that. Any dog can do that. Yeah. Uh, at any given time, but consistent, consistent basis. I want them in bad conditions, whether it's raining, pretty weather, whatever. I want them to go get hunting because if I go to a hunt six hours away, I don't want my dog to just quit on me. I want them to hunt and, and go do what they're supposed to. And if you're competition hunting, you've got to have a dog that will go hunting and will get treed no matter where you go. Yeah. I know I can go back. I'm 44. And when I, when I first started hunting in my, in my early teens, the, my great uncle and the people that I hunted with, some of them had feist, and you can answer this question because you've always hunted them, but it seemed like when I came up hunting these dogs, they were almost exclusively a, a sight dog, I thought. They do, if they didn't see the squirrel go up the tree, then you probably weren't, they, they were probably going to pass it up. But it seems like since then and over the years, that um, I guess breeding has brought along the, the, the nose of a feist. And have you seen that progress from, from where you started? Well, I, I kind of got started uh, with a guy here, local, uh, Temple Coley, and he had a dog that had won the Alabama State Hunt twice, and that's the kind of dog he was. He was a nose winding. I got spoiled. And he would go. He had to go get deep. He was not what, when I started going to the hunt, he was not what I saw at the hunts. Yeah. You know, what I saw at the hunt is a lot of what you are describing and this, you know, it was a, a lot of terrier type feist. Yeah. And I say type of feist because that's what a feist is. It's a type of dog. Mm-hmm. I don't really care what most people say. It's not really a breed. It's a type of dog. I saw that a lot. You still see it. Oh, yeah. But it's yeah. gotten better. Uh, it's gotten better. And I think a lot of times the regions of the country you go to, you'll see uh, more sight ear type dog as opposed to winding nose uh, type dogs and i'll tell you another thing i think that it's come a long way with vice dogs again i don't know if it's necessarily in the breeding or if the hunters have adapted to that and tried to push these dogs to do better in years past i've really faulted my vice dogs and it was probably more my fault than theirs for not pushing them being tight to that tree are, are is your breed are they pretty tight on the tree they are in general, but you know, because we go to competition hunts, that's just how we start them. We want them tight to begin with, so we don't allow them to get loose. You know, every tree we're leashing them, controlling them. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, you may have somebody that never intends to go to hunt and they're never going to go to hunt and they're completely satisfied with their dog just getting them to that tree uh, where they can shoot the squirrel down and they're not worried about if they're tight, if they're bouncing around or any of that. Uh, and that's you know, whatever floats your boat, that's fine. But I think a lot of that has to do with that. Uh, people just don't leash them. Yeah. And then a lot of the breed improve that a uh, good bit as well. And that really, if you look at improving dogs, a lot of the times it's due to competition hunters, whether somebody wants a competition dog or not, you know, the competition hunter is keep, they keep breeding for better and better dogs, which creates better and better dogs. So people that get pups off of them are getting better and better dogs. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Even if you even if you never go to a hunt, you know, it's still improving it because of what the competition hunters are doing. Yeah, that's that's a big change I've seen over the years. A strong emphasis now is getting put on breeding these dogs. And instead of just, you know, breeding to your neighbor's dog, it's all about, you know, improving what you can improve upon, you know, filling the holes in the dogs and, and making them better. But you mentioned one thing about, and I've just got the quick question about leashing the dog to the tree. And when you go to a comp hunt, 
are you allowed to leash your dog to the tree in a comp hunt? Yeah, so you if your dog leaves the tree, you will get penalized. Yeah, you'll get minus. And so every tree, you know, if the three of us are on a cast, if one of our dogs' trees way over here, the other one's way over there, you know, we have to go leash our dogs, come back to the first dog treed, and, and then we score them that way. And, you know, once you score your tree, you lead your dog to the next. And unless there's another dog hunting out, then you can turn it loose. But uh, if all three dogs are treed, then all three dogs get leashed. And then you score them in that order. And what about vice dogs? And my, my dog, a lot of times when I get to him, uh, he does a great job barking most of the time on my way in. But sometimes he shuts down. Now, again, in, in the competition hunt, will a dog get penalized? I know they're on a timer and they've got to stay treated for so long. But once you get there, can a dog lose points for stopping uh, barking on the tree? No. not Once you arrive at the tree, if the dog's looking up, you know, you're not going to get penalized from that. But if you know your dog trees off three, 400 yards and you tree them from there and then they shut up for two minutes, which most registries have that two minute rule. If they shut up for two minutes, so I think UKC is one minute. Uh, but if they shut up for that amount of time, you know, then they're minus okay. uh, because you don't really, you don't know what the dog's doing. If, if they shut up for two minutes, more than likely they, they left the tree. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we've talked about the comp side. Do you, do you pleasure hunt your dogs? That's, that's what uh, most of us competition hunters are. 90-something yeah. percent of the time is pleasure hunting. Now, how we approach it, you know, each, each individual may be different. Some of us like to slaughter the squirrels when we can, and some people never even shoot one. You know, it's always just competition. And even when we're shooting a bunch of squirrels, you know, we're leashing the dogs. Uh, we're making sure everything's under control. We're not just running through the woods and blasting all over the place, letting the dogs go go crazy we want to kind of in controlled environment for them even then but you know i that's what to me that's way more relaxing and more fun than going to a competition hunt mm-hmm. two, two or three buddies and take some kids mm-hmm. let them go at it you just kind of watch the dog work watch those kids have fun shooting squirrels we've actually got a buddy that just just picked up a pup so we may end up following him around to some hunts but um uh, uh I, I like the i like it <clears throat> we don't use as much of the, I don't guess we don't leash them to the tree and stuff like that. But you said it like a controlled area. Uh, I still like that. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't want my dog running all over the place. I want him to be at the tree. Yeah. I, I like that when you said it was kind of just a, a controlled environment and and that way uh, consistency yeah. with the dog. Consistency yeah. with the dog. Even in the pleasure hunting, I think consistency is probably a good thing. Oh yeah, yeah. When you're when you're pleasure hunting your dog. Um, I know you, you kind of mentioned you basically are approaching that along the same lines as you would the competition hunt. So you know, I, I, if I can, what are some things that you may see a feist do or some things that you've seen your feist do when you're out there that you think, I, I need to fix that because that's not going to work? Well, just you always want to make sure that they are uh, you know focused on the tree tight on the tree and a lot of that comes from that consistency with leashing you know when you're pleasure hunting if the dog's not leashed and uh you know guys jerking vines over here or he shoots up into the tree and stuff starts falling out even the dogs that are totally focused with their you know nose and focused up the tree they see stuff start falling all over the place especially if ice they're going to want to go get it you know and they, they might think a squirrel fell and so you start uh instilling bad habits there mm-hmm. where a dog may start getting getting loose at the tree and that's why i want it controlled where we're leashing them and then you can start doing that other stuff even if they're tight on the tree you can make them loose uh, at the tree you can create a lot of man-made faults oh, yeah. uh, with a dog by by improper handling what are what are some of the faults you see these dogs and i'm, I'm if i'm not using the right term correct me but um um what are some of the things you see in, in the in the feist hunts in general in the comp hunts what are some things that these dogs are are getting minus for or losing points for or, you know, actually, I guess, losing the cast. Well, it's, they can lose the cast for some things that you see the, you know, the curves and tree and curves, but there's just a lot more tree power with the, with your average tree and cur, cur, hound compared to a feist dog, your average feist dog. Now you've got several different organizations, feist organizations, and you're going to see varying degrees, you know, competition when you go to these hunts. The, the National Sporting Feist, uh, which used to be called the National Feist Breeders Association. Uh, it was at the beginning affiliated with the NKC, and then it became affiliated with uh, National Sporting Dog, NSD and Jimmy Inman. In, in my opinion, that's where you're going to see the higher quality 
uh, feist dogs. Tougher rules, tougher competition. Then you can go to these NKC hunts or UKC, and you're going to see in the last few years, you can see which dogs have won those hunts, those world hunts as well. You've got Diesel, Wade Hildebrand. He's won a couple of those. Uh, James Byram's dog, Dexter, he won one of the NFBA world hunts and a UKC. And then uh, Diesel won the National Sporting Feist world hunt. It was NFBA at that time, I believe. Uh, and he's also won NKC World Hunt. A pig, Ken Nisley dog, has won NKC and UKC uh, World Hunts. And then Juice and Diamond have won National Sporting Feist World Hunts, UK or NKC World Hunts. Those dogs have, have been very consistent at the top, as well as other ones like Casey Sliman's Merle Dog. Those dogs are usually always going to be right there in the finals in any of the Feist Hunts. They're tough, and, they, you know, I've... I've had my dogs beat those dogs. Those dogs have beaten my dogs, and it's just uh, they're very close. It's very tough competition. And then uh, most of the time when these dogs go to those UKC or uh, NKC world hunts, those bigger competitions, they're usually still the same dogs up there you know, that are placing. I think the UKC world hunt this year was uh, Pig, Merle, Keith People's Jammer, and those are all three national sporting vice dogs. Okay. Uh, so it's there. I wouldn't say they they can't be beat, but they're they're more of a dominant type feist dog. I hear a lot of great things about Pig. I'm actually tugging at the heartstrings of Ken, just trying to get him on the show. But I, <laughs> I've not got him to commit to anything yet. So I'm going to have to send him some birthday and Christmas cards and <laughs> see if I can see if I can string him in. But uh, uh, do it, Ken. If if you can't get if you can't get Ken, get Sweet Pea on there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we'll take it. that. Probably. That'll probably be an even better interview. All right. We'll we'll we, we may get in contact with him. Yeah, <laughs> we'll take it. Uh, your dog's uh, one thing, one trait my little dog has, and, and like I said, I have to refer to mine a lot because I, I don't get out and see a lot of these other dogs go, but in the comp hunt or in general, do you want your dogs to timber out when they tree? I do because when I'm pleasure hunting, I want them to go with the squirrel. To me, that's a big misconception about the competition hunt because sometimes they timber when the dog's out of sight. can't tell if the dog's timbered, but you can tell they moved a long ways. In general, when a squirrel normally timbers is when the people walk up. And then at that point, you can see it happening. And so I think it's, I think it's pretty rare when a dog would get minus for timbering. Uh, so I won't mind timbering the squirrel. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, glad you pointed that out because I really... That, I don't know much about it, but in the past, I've heard that that's, you know, a fault that you do not want at all, you know. Another uh, another trait, and I'm going to, I'm gonna, we're going to go predict your answer is no, but uh, do your dogs check back in with you? I know that's, with vice dogs, everyone I've ever had, they make a circle or they'll hunt a little bit and then they'll come back into you and they'll go back out again. Mm-hmm. Do you see that in, in your dogs or in, in any of the vice dogs that you're around? A lot of them will come back. They might circle back around, but it depends on your definition of checking in. Some of them, you know, I see a lot of feist dogs. They'll make a big circle, and they come back and stand there. They're, and and really, uh, to me, that's a lot of times because they're used to you walking. A lot of feist hunters, that's a difference that you'll see a lot of times. Feist hunters will cut their dogs loose, and they just start walking through yeah. the woods. Whereas most of us, they're, especially the national sport and feist guys, when we cut our dogs loose, we stand in there, the dogs go out you know and then they we we start walking when they tree or if they start getting you know if all of them get three four hundred yards we might close in yeah. uh, you don't want them getting out of pocket on you but and i used to do that but my dogs would still go you know when i was pleasure hunting i just you know cut them loose and start walking in the direction so they don't ever get very far off from me so i'm not walking five six hundred yards the yeah. dog will end up going that far to get treed but i'm trying to stay within distance if i'm pleasure hunting i'm out there to you know i'm out there shooting game mm-hmm. and i want to as many as many possible in the shortest amount of time is that something you do with your when you're pleasure hunting too do you just cut your dog loose and stand there and wait for him to tree or are you are you walking along uh sort of uh you know we if we are trying to kill a lot of squirrels and we got you know kids or people that just wanted to go to shoot squirrels mm-hmm. we'll kind of stay try to stay up with the dog you're not ever going to stay up with them you know but you try to stay within a couple hundred yards of them. That way you can get to the tree quicker. You're not just standing there waiting on them and they get 500 yards away, then start walking. If you're at a hunt, that's what you're going to generally do. Yeah. Is uh, you cut them loose and you're waiting on them to tree. I do. Uh, that's mostly all that we do, really, until the leaves come down and it cools off. 
down here, I don't know how it is, you know, anywhere else in the country, but when the leaves are on, the squirrels are crazy. Road hunting is the best way because you're getting the dog in shape, and they're usually treeing a little closer to you, and you can get to them quicker before that squirrel. As soon as the soon as the leaves come down, they seem to just go up, and look down at you, and say, "Shoot me with that 22." Yeah, kind of opposite of what you'd think they'd do. Yeah, that it's the same way here. I I took my dog out just. I mean, very briefly before we done the podcast earlier and well, I got there and there was people already there. So I had to go to another place where, she, but I didn't have a, a gun. And of course the squirrels timbered out like they did everything, but come down and shake my hand. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, I yeah. mean, it was crazy. And I'm like, if I would have had a, a, a my shotgun, that would have never took place. Uh, I had them, uh, well, he had two actually, uh, come out of a tree, hit the ground and he chased them back up another tree. So they oh, were, they were lively today. Now that, that don't ever happen when you're when you've got a gun in your hand. So, but, <laughs> so you're you're road hunting. Are you training? I've never road hunted a dog. Are you training these dogs to do that somehow, or is this something that they just fall into naturally? Some of them just do it naturally. You just put them on a dirt road and they just kind of take off. Uh, some of them you put out with a older dog a couple of times and they kind of get the the hang of it. Uh, but one of the reasons I road hunt a lot is terrain. Uh, you know, if it's we may be hunting up on top of a mountain, and I'm not going to cut a dog loose and walk 700 yards straight down. And you cut them loose, and then they go 700 yards straight up. I can keep them on that road, and they'll stay relatively within a couple hundred yards of that road when they tree. And you're also keeping them off of that cold stuff, yeah. uh, where they're nosing around, going up and down logs when they're puppies, which is, to me, that's puppy stuff when they're running up and down logs. And you'll see a lot of feist dogs running up and down logs. <laughs> With, yeah. their, with their nose down. Yeah. I don't want my dog running with its nose down. I want them head up, going into the wind, drifting, or winding a squirrel. Mm-hmm. I don't want them being a, a plow mule. And, you know, that's one thing that I'm, I, even from, I can't remember what podcast it was uh, or what show it was on or who they were interviewing, but I, I've really started working on that with my dog is kind of watching him uh, waste time stopping and you know smelling the roses so to speak or just kind of smelling here and there and you know i don't really correct that anyway other than say you know get ahead or get out there and holler at him and he's really he, he knows what that means so that's you know that even though i'm not competition and i still don't want to see him waste that time out there like i said just smelling the roses or, or wasting time when he could go out and get treed so i i see exactly what you're talking about i'm glad you pointed that out and road hunting also especially for young dogs you know a lot of times when a dog is just learning the tree you know, they may bark up a tree and take off, or they may start smelling around at other trees, or if squirrel timbers, they may lose it. When you're road hunting, usually when a dog, you know, real young, starting to learn, they mostly really hot squirrels, they're treeing. And so it's going to be really close to that road, and when they start treeing, you're right there on top of them. Whereas if you're walk hunting, they may be 200 yards away, and you don't know what they've done or what they're doing, and they may start getting all these bad habits when you're road hunting one you're right there leash them you can control them keep things under control mm-hmm. a lot better than you can if you're just trying to train one just walk on yeah uh, that makes sense. you you hit on this just a minute ago i just wrote down as a question what's what what's your terrain look like down there well when we have hunts we try to put people in the flattest places but it can be pretty hilly you know we're right at right at the foothills of the appalachian mountain so it can be very hilly in some places i've had some of the WMAs, I will not walk home. I had a guy say, well, how far is too far off the road? And I said, sometimes it's 30 feet. <laughs> and uh, I tell a lot of people that because may, they may go 30 feet off the road, but you slide down the, mm-hmm. have to slide straight down and then have to climb back up. And if they go 200 yards off of that, you're going up this hill, down that hill, up. It takes a lot of time to do that when you can just, you're road hunting them, you can boom. You're, you got them and uh, I horn break all mine. I'll toot the horn. They come back usually. Uh, that's cool. Really? <laughs> most of the time, most of the time they know when I'm honking that horn, they need to come jump in the cab with me. And that's to really save their life. You know, if a car's coming, I can hit that horn. They come get in the cab with me. I shut the door and, you know, we let the cars go on by and then we can move on. Or if they, they're getting too far off, I don't want them going in a certain place. I can honk the horn and make them come back. They don't. Usually I can just tone them after I honk the horn and they'll come on back. Yeah. Are your dogs for sale? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like That's that awesome. sounds like yeah. kind of hurt I'd like to do. Horn. Come on back here. We're going somewhere else, big dog. <laughs> yeah, I've taken a lot of people road hunting and it is it has spoiled them. 
Yeah, uh, real, real good. Yeah, I don't know if I need to go do that. No, uh, we, uh, I need the exercise right yeah, now. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> you will get plenty of exercise when you road hunt, uh, just because it's fast paced and you're getting to the tree quick, and you're getting back to the cab quick, and you're pushing. When I was uh, in school to be a chiropractor, I had a lot of guys that had really never hunted. Period, and so first time they ever handled a gun or hunted anything was with me squirrel hunting and so usually when i'd first take them the first couple times uh the first three or four trees well i'd whip off the road jump out sprint to the tree go in there and blast the squirrel out i'd be running back by the time they got out and got all their gear on <laughs> and after about that after about that fifth tree they're running to the tree and i'm getting out real slow <laughs> ready to go yeah <laughs> So a lot of times with my dog, I've all, I've always heard when they're tree and just you know take your time and get to the tree, see if they'll stay at the tree. But in a comp hunt or in general, let's say your dog trees in that competition hunt, are you in a pretty big hurry to get there, or are you, or or do you have so much time anyway and you need to take your time, or how does that work? Yeah, usually you know there's two minutes. I think most every registry now is you got a two minute time that you have to wait, and so usually you know when. The dog, if the dog's way off, you're going to tree your dog and you're going to start moving that way. Okay. You know, you don't want them, you don't want to tree them and sit there for a whole two minutes and then walk 500 yards. You know, you tree them and, and just go that way. Some registries, you get first, second, or third tree and you get so many points for it. But some registries, after a certain amount of time, those tree points for second and third tree either decline or they're no longer available. I mean, most of those registries that do that after that first minute, uh, no other dogs can come in and get tree points. Oh, and okay. so sometimes you, you'll kind of ease that way, or some people want to stand there. It's not in the rules that you have to stand there, but they'll kind of ease that way and listen for another dog. And then once that minute's up, they go on in until, you know, they can get close enough. And then once the time's up, then they can handle the dog. Uh, someone who doesn't have a dog, let's say they just want to go out and observe is, are people allowed to go out to those comp hunts and observe with a cast as, and just be an observer? Oh, yeah. People uh, love it when a spectator's there because that's an extra set of eyes. Okay. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've been on cast where a spectator, whether they're, you know, my spectator, somebody else's spectator, or just somebody that came to the hunt wanting to do what you're talking about, mm -hmm. has found the squirrel. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, they find it, and then the cast or judge has to see it, but, you know, they find it. And most of the time, the cast members will agree, yes, spectators can find squirrels, but they have to point them out to the to the judge mm -hmm. that way they can count them yeah and i'm probably asking my, for myself and steven we just you know we've talked about before we like to see these dogs run you know our, our mm -hmm. dogs are our dogs are mediocre on their best day but i you know we've talked about it many times going out and seeing these seeing these dogs work and mm -hmm. to switch gears uh, a little bit if i understand it right do you do some of your own training with your pups i do some of my own training uh i've i've bought started dogs i've bought trained dogs I've trained dogs. Uh, I don't really care as long as I get me a good dog. So I've, one, of the, one of the dogs we've been pushing the last two years, I bought her from Joey Poston. It's a dog named Diamond. Casey Trawick out in Arkansas, he, he raised and trained her. A couple other guys had bought her. And then I got her. I saw her at a hunt. I drew out with her. And I said, man, if that guy ever sells that dog, I want it. And so I ended up getting her. We've done really well with her. Juice dog that I've got, uh, she was on both of her parents, so she's out of my dogs. Uh, she was born at my house, and then um, my real good friend Willard Crumpton got her from me. And about she was about uh, six months old. I got her back from him. He's in his eighties, and uh, have, he's had a bunch of good dogs come from his place. Oh, okay. uh, I think he's got to, uh, in total between several dogs like four or five world titles, state hunts, wow. dogs of the year. He's he's had a lot of good dogs, and he's got a training pen and that's what he does he works with pups he loves pups and he gets them going and then a lot of times me or somebody else may get a get a hold of that dog and really do a lot of the other work with that are these spice but dogs juice, he has yeah and most of what he fools with is the quicks champ dogs okay uh, i didn't train juice he willard got her started so she would tree uh when i got her back from him and then i had a lot going on with work starting a new business uh, had a new baby and actually, Juice was born about three or four days before my son, William, who's now five. Oh, wow. And uh, so, so that litter is just kind of special to me just because of that. Uh, I gave her to a guy, and he got her really fired up. I got her back from him. She made me mad. 
my hunting partner, Kevin, uh, he, he can tell you the best time to buy a dog is when I get mad at one. I'll sell a really good dog when I get mad at it. Oh, no. Uh, but I got I got irritated at her for doing something, and I priced her to uh, Jamie Anderson. The very next hunt, I took her out with my little LMA dog, and she kind of went toe-to-toe with her. And I was like, golly, I wish I hadn't priced that dog. <laughs> If it, if it had been somebody other than Jamie, I would have, I would have probably backed out and kept yeah. her. I hunted the hair off of her, uh, but we were just road hunting her. I did walk hunter like twice, and that's when I was like, oh man, I wish I hadn't priced this dog. Oh yeah. Uh, but he did a lot of that, that competition fine tuning with her. He did a really good job of that with her, and then he had some other stuff come up, life and in general, and I I got her back from him. He asked if I wanted her back, and I was like, yeah, I do. Yeah, jumped to that. Uh, when Jamie. When when Jamie got her from me, he got her. It was a December when he got her. In that March, he got second place at the Junior World Hunt with her, and that that was the open Junior World Hunt. Oh, that was uh, an open hunt. Oh man. He ended up, I think, uh, Porcupine Mountain Ben won the hunt. Juice got second, and the dog named China Girl got third. That's, good that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that's really good company. Um, now you you were talking about uh, training some of your dogs. When you get your pup or uh, like a like young dog, what are some of the things you're doing to, to uh, get this dog off the ground and going? A lot of yard work. You know, I will show them some squirrels. Uh, I will release some squirrels. I do a lot of that, you know, teaching the dog to come to you. You know, I'll toot the horn in the yard and I got them, I'm getting them trained to do that. I really don't make them load into the dog box like a lot of guys are, you know, that's what they want their dog doing. Mm-hmm. Mine wanting the cat. That's their sanctuary. Yeah. They know. Oh, okay. When I honk that horn, if they don't come into their sanctuary, you know, they they might get a little Lou the Lightning Bug around their neck shot through them. They want to be inside my house. They want to be with you. I think that makes at least this line of dogs, it makes them better. My dog, Ellie Mae, she's always been in the house with me. Bill Douglas, he just passed away. He's one of the best dog trainers ever been in the country, in my opinion. He's had a lot of extremely nice dogs come from his place, uh, him and James Quick. Uh, but he raises his a pup is in the house with him. It rides everywhere with him. It goes to the grocery store with him. I mean, it's always with him, and I think that makes that dog just that little extra. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's got a little more polish. Yeah. You mentioned um, a friend of yours had the training pen. Now, I'm assuming that's something you utilize is the training pen? I don't. I don't have a training pen. The last couple of years, I was able to move out of town uh, we live on 12 acres, and the adjoining properties, uh, they all have allowed me graciously to be able to run my dogs on them. So I've got a – it's flat. There's not a lot of squirrels. Uh, we've got a few more this year than in the past, but I'm able to go – you know, I can just go out into the backyard and hit the woods with one and kind of walk it, do things with, like that in, in the yard or surrounding property. So that's that's been a blessing uh, for not just training one but to – keep one in shape and keep one tuned up i can if i get home i can turn them loose one tree and let, let the dog tree every day they're they're doing something instead of just getting stale on a pen oh yeah right. yeah now when you're taking your dogs out are you just taking one at a time or are you are you trying to hunt multiple oh, dogs yeah. oh you just use one okay. no it's it's one and that and that's one that's another reason i like to road hunt is because we have five six seven dogs right now that we could take to hunt or go hunting with when you're road hunting you you know, every mile or two, you can rotate a dog out, shoot mm-hmm. a squirrel two down. Rotate a dog out, shoot a squirrel two down. And you oh, get yeah. them in shape. You're keeping them fired up where you're not just throwing them out and just walking two hours. You know, you put put a dog out and it gets two or three squirrels, they're still wanting to go. Mm-hmm. And you put them in the back in the dog box and you're getting that other one out. He's he's hearing all that shooting. He's He knows what's going on. And so he's pumped up. And so you keep them kind of uh, focused, fired up. At least that's what I found. You know, Danny Williams, he's... He, that's about all he does is road hunt mm-hmm. uh, and his dogs do well his dogs have historically have done really well at the hunts he won the uh, national sporting fight world hunt last year with a dog and that's yeah. probably all it has ever really done is is a road hunt other than walk hunting some if it's in them it's in them yeah yeah i've heard his name a lot yeah. here lately yeah. i think he's turning out some and he's he's feist guy if i'm right is that, is that correct He's probably, you know, at one time, he's kind of set the bar for Feist dogs. Uh, he's probably got more Feist champions than anybody wow. that I know of uh, as far as just Feist dogs that have made champion against good competition. And his dog, Bud, Williams Bud, is really the dog that kind of got him up there 
he was able to reproduce other good dogs. Now, he had a lot of other champions before Bud. He's had a bunch of champion dogs out of that line. But Bud and the dog Quick's champ that James Quick owned were half brothers. Mm. You can look at all the champions from either side of that. I mean, it's just oh, yeah. a long list. Yeah. And, you know, that's uh, another reason I really wanted to get you on here. And I, I love the Feist dogs, and, and Stephen does too, but it – it seems like uh, it seems like in some ways I think they, sometimes they take a back seat mm-hmm. to the cur dogs. And if you yeah. see people wanting to get into the sport, it's it's hard to watch these videos of these hard tree and cur dogs both feed on the tree and just you know blowing the top out of it. But you know I, I really wanted to put some word out there that man these vice dogs are awesome. Mm-hmm. You know especially if you and we say that every episode if you're interested in getting into it, you know. The people like yourself or, or Danny Williams or check into these bloodlines before you just go out and, and you know buy a dog from you know a parking lot somewhere right, and think yeah. you know he's gonna he's gonna do it. But uh, you know you can definitely get a good bloodline of feist that will make you very happy. And, and even you know if you're interested in competition hunting, they they're mm-hmm. capable of that. And I just I feel like that sometimes they uh, they don't get the credit they deserve. And, and one of the reasons is you know there's not a lot of them that are going to be at the open hunt. Mm-hmm. So they're uh, uh, unless they're at a feist hunt, mm-hmm. they're not going to be uh, getting any you know kind of publicity. Now we have gone to a lot of open hunts. Uh, we've won some of the state open hunts. Diamond won the Georgia state race last year. Wade Hildebrand's dog has won several of those open state dog of the year races, and some I think he's won some of the open state hunts. So there are some of those dogs that can compete at that level with all of the everything uh, i'm not saying they're going to go out and win the open world hunt with 70 dogs but you know in the state of arkansas or alabama or georgia or tennessee mm-hmm. you know, pig pig is another one that's uh he's won in the uh open uh, arena when you when you go to a feist hunt i'm, I'm probably asking a, a very dumb question here but uh, you've got your paperwork and such with, with your dog it's obviously registered feist but and i know the size has got to come into play is that ever an issue with a dog when it gets to a hunt is this dog going to be do they check things like that when you get to the hunt oh yeah they measure them there's a lot of dogs borderline we try to make sure that you know every dog gets a good chance you know sometimes they come in they might be hyped up and they're standing up on their tippy toes you want to get them kind of leveled out some dogs won't stand up all the way so they're going to go under the bars that kind of thing Mm -hmm. it's never really a big issue put it that way Uh, just because most of the most of your feist are bred to other feist, so they're just kind of consistently the same size. Most of them are going to be right in that 16 to 18 range, and now most of the organizations have taken the weight out as a requirement. reason they do that, you know, you, you may have a dog that's 18 inches and weighs 27 pounds, but you sit it up all summer, and it might gain 4 pounds or 3 pounds, you know, it might be slightly over 30 pounds, and then you come to the hunt and they weigh it. Well then it can't hunt, in my opinion. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. But then two weeks later, three weeks later, when you get the dog start getting him in shape, he's back under 30. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, that was my next question. You know what I mean? Do they weigh the dog? And so obviously yeah. they they or they took that out, you at, say. At the NKC hunt, uh, the world NKC world hunt, you know, they measure them and weigh them. The national sporting feist, they're going to just measure the dog. Uh, and I think UKC, they only measure the dog now. ATFA, they're going to measure and weigh the dog. So there's just depends on which registry or organization uh, that you're hunting in. But I think most across the board, all of them are 18 inches except for NKC, which still, I hope they'll change it. You know, females have to be 17 inches and under. And really, they should all just be 18, right. uh, in my opinion. That's just my opinion. Uh, yeah. I know a lot of other guys, they feel the same way. There just needs to be an 18 inch for a male or a female. If it's a feist, it's a feist. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can see that. I want to hit on uh, a dog that uh, I wanted to talk about with you a little bit. You had a dog named Bridges, I believe. I sure did. And, old uh, Bridges. If I understand it right, I don't want to get that wrong. How old was this dog when you purchased Bridges? So the backstory on that was when I first started hunting with Temple Coley, who had a dog named John Henry, he won the hunt, state hunt twice. So the first real squirrel dog I hunted with had won the state hunt twice. He was a go get him, you know, stay put dog. He might go five, six hundred yards, get treed when weather was bad. And so that's what I wanted. I My first size was off of John Henry, and I didn't know what I was doing, you know. And uh, the mother of this little pup that I got was actually the mother of that uh, 
little feist dog that I mentioned that my cousin had. Mm-hmm. So they bred that mother of that dog to John Henry. A guy named Terry Reed made that cross. If I'd have known what I was doing at the time, she would have probably made a really nice dog. She would get gone. She would go deep, but I messed up, you know, letting her tree in the yard and not leashing her. And I just thought it was, you know, fun to fool around there with her. When I buckled down and really wanted a, a dog so I could go to the hunts with, I went out and tried to buy several dogs and from really good bloodlines that were supposed to be really good dogs and i would bring them back home and i'd call temple and tell him like i've got this dog on trial can you go with me let's look at him and or look at her whoever and so did this with several dogs you know they'd always look good by themselves and then temple say all right let's go take them with john next hunt (laughs) well you know what you know what would happen he'd make them look like a fool and i'd say well i don't want that so i kind of got fed up trying these three four thousand dollar dogs and nothing was working out and i thought well i'll just go back and get a pup and start from scratch again and i'd gotten rid of my little feist a cur dog and a a half cur half feist you know i just i got rid of them i said i'm gonna buy a pup well i looked on squirrel dog central at the time and that's back when squirrel dog central was the place to be to get information and all Mm -hmm. that facebook's kind of taking that over now but uh there was a dog on there off of oakdale sport model or smith sport he was a famous dog down here that everybody bred to, I saw this stud ad for Jingo's Britches, a guy named Clay Jingo in Maylene, Alabama, had him. So I called him up and I said, hey, are you going to be having any puppies off of this dog or do you know anybody uh, or has anybody bred to it? And he said, yeah, a guy named Ross Vining had bred to this dog. And Terry Reed become a friend ever since that day. I bought that pup and then Ross Vining has become another friend, just two really nice guys. But I bought two pups off of Britches and Ross's female. The day that I went to look at those pups, Mr. Jingo, I was going to hunt my little feist dog at my uncle's place. Mm-hmm. Well, Mr. Mr. Jingo says, I'm going to take you out and show you what Britches can do. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so he, he's, he's nine years old at the time. And I think Mr. Jingo was about 76 and we were hunting on a mountain. I told him, this is going to be rough. He said, ah, it'll be all right. So we got out there and the wind was just, trees were just swaying. It was a bad day. Bridges was hunting out and we weren't treating anything. And we kind of got down the mountain and the wind quit blowing. And that dog just went to pop, 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 pop. I think he treated five squirrels in a row. I was like, man, that was pretty impressive. Mr. Jingo had fallen on that hunt a couple of times and he's getting older. He couldn't hunt the dog. I called him the next day, which was a Sunday. And I said, would you be interested in selling that dog? And he said, yeah, I can't do him justice anymore. And so he priced him to me, and I said, I will be there after church. Don't sell him. And so me and my brother went and bought him. I got home, and I made sure I took off work a little bit because I'd called Temple and said, I got a dog. We need to go look at him. (laughs) And uh, I said, I've already bought him. And we put him down on the ground together, and it took Bridges a little bit to get kind of warmed up. But after about the first two trees, it was just tit for tat. And at the end of the hunt, Temple, Temple said, you got you a dog now. (laughs) <laughs> and then the next hunt, I think he beat John by a squirrel. So I knew, you know, I had some a special type dog. And then then I won the, or he won, I won't say I won, but he won the Alabama State Hunt that year, 2007, and he was 10 years old. Now that's And that's the main reason. I, I wanted to bring him up. He's a great dog, obviously. I've heard a lot of great things about him, but I don't know. But is this would this be the oldest dog to ever win the state hunt there? Uh, I don't know about that. I I don't really know. I mean, That's he's a, 10 years old. 10 years old is just for a dog to go compete. It's mm-hmm. pretty good. Well, uh, that's that's the other reason I wanted to bring it up, too, because you bought this dog at 9, and he won the state hunt at 10, and that's, uh, I think, uh, I, I mean, Stevens talked about it. From my perspective, of course, I'm not a dog man, but uh, to, I think a guy here, when I was looking for a dog here, uh, was it last year, uh, a guy not far down the road, uh had a, uh, I think it was a five or six year old feist for sale, and he, you know, he said it's a great dog. But I was, I thought, man, that's just too old. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and I, I probably counted that dog a little short. And, you know, I probably missed a chance because he was ready to get rid of it. But uh, you know, that just goes to show you that it's uh, as long as they're capable of getting out there and they're healthy enough to go, they're going to go and try their best to please you. Yeah, and you know, some dogs hold up better than others. Uh, some bloodlines hold up better than others. You know, some dogs when they're six, seven years old, they're done. 
they're not going to be able to go to a competition hunt. But Britches wasn't. Britches was not one of those dogs that had been hauled all over the country and hunted hard all the time. He did not look more like a four or five year old dog when I bought him. Wow. He lived. He lived to be fifteen and a half. Good and it great. wasn't until he was probably maybe fourteen years old you could really tell. You know that he was aging. I hunted him in competition hunts until he was about eleven and a half years old, and then I quit competition hunting. Wow. Uh, pleasure hunted him some. I want to ask you this. I'm curious. You talked about the, the windy day. Um, was, did he have a, and I, you're going to have to help me along with this, but did he have a hot nose or a cold nose? Sometimes I don't really know how to describe his nose. It's one of the best noses on a feist dog or any dog that I've ever seen. He would treat squirrels, dogs would just run by the trees and he'd just walk over, you know, not really walk over there, but he'd just go right over there and sit there for just a second. He'd jump up on the tree and start tree and the other dogs would come in, smell all around, go on, be a squirrel sitting up the tree. The, the old man that I bought him from, Mr. Jingo, when he was telling me some stories about him, he said, Bridges will tree every squirrel up that tree. If there's four squirrels up that tree, he will tree every one of them. And I thought, what is he talking about? That sounds crazy. You know, if there's four squirrels up the tree, how does he know there's four? Short, shortly after I bought him, he wanted to take us to this flat place to hunt. And Bridges went on down. I had some of my younger cousins with me, and I said, he's about to tree right there. And so there was vines all in the tree. There was about five or six nests in the tree. He jumped up on the tree and was treeing, and I pulled a vine, and the squirrel jumped out. Those kids shot it. Riches, he went over, and crunch, he'd crunch the head, and then he'd leave it. And so he crunched the head, and he went back to the tree, and he smelled around the tree, and he jumped back up on the tree. What is he doing? I went and shook another one, and we did, I think it was four squirrels out of that tree. may have been three. But wow. He went, he, he went and crunched the head on each one of them, and he went back to the tree. And after the last one, he went back to the tree and checked it again, and then he went on. And so I went and shook the other vines to see if there was another squirrel, and there was nothing. Wow. And uh, we, we got back to the truck, and Mr. Jingo was sitting there waiting on us. And I said, I got to apologize to you, Mr. Jingo. Uh, I thought you were a liar. <laughs> <laughs> but I just watched that. I just watched that dog tree, every squirrel up that one tree, and he just laughed. And he said, I told you. But I've seen other dogs do that since, uh, just great. because I've hunted with a lot more dogs. My gator dog. He, he would do that. We've been on hunts with Gator, and he would be treeing, and you'd shoot the squirrel down, and he'd go over and smell of it. He'd just go get back on the tree, and you'd wow. look, and there would be one above him. You know, sometimes a squirrel's a tree over, a tree over or whatnot. So there's some dogs out there that have had really amazing noses. One of the best trees I ever watched was uh, Casey Sliman's dog, Merle, made at the world hunt several years ago. Uh, when I drew out with him, Merle had come back and he was had kind of was nosing around beside us. And we saw a squirrel go up a tree. Well, the squirrel was up, you know, just a little bitty tree and it started timbering over Merle's head. And I said, that dog is going to tree that squirrel and beat me, timbering over his head. Well, he never saw it. And the squirrel timbered like a long ways off through those short trees. And then it went up this huge hardwood oak tree. And Merle just kind of all of a sudden, perked up and he went running big big circles and he just circled 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 down to that big tree and laid the hammer down in case that's probably the most impressive thing i've seen at a competition hunt you know a, a dog do that that you actually get to see most of the time they do that way out of sight but at a hunt mm-hmm. you don't get to see that a lot i've watched some of my dogs and other people's dogs do that on a pleasure hunt that was an impressive thing to see out of merle yeah one thing i've noticed i think that Stephen will reiterate this and i'm sure it's the same way with your dogs i'm not just bragging on mine but he does he's he's got so much better i, I will say just in the last several weeks oh yeah at using his nose mm-hmm. and i'm gonna have to give him credit for for one thing and that's accuracy most of the time when we walk to the tree if i don't kill myself trying to find it <laughs> the we we locate the squirrel yep. you know it'll it'll timber out so and that's I'm sure your dogs are the same way, but I'll give Feist a lot of credit for that. Is, and I'm sure you can you can say the same thing. Are your dogs pretty accurate? In general, yeah. And most of the time, you know, Feist dogs are going to be that way. And uh, I think that's one of the things that can cause them to struggle, especially at some of the open events, just mm-hmm. because they're – I don't know if you've listened to any of the podcasts with Shane Mason. They'll say they're, a Feist dog can be too honest. Right. Mm-hmm. You know where they won't keep, yep. they won't particularly like gamble on a tree. Yeah, they want the squirrel. Yeah, you know they're not just interested in tree in the scent. They want the squirrel. Even feist dogs that mostly tree by scent, you know they get to that tree by scent, but they may back up because they want to see the squirrel. Yeah. They want yeah. the squirrel. They're more of a, 
a game driven. I want it in my mouth. Yep. Yeah. Well, Kevin wants him on the tree, but he yeah. is re- he really wants to see that squirrel. He'll can, back up a few steps, and you can, yeah. he's watching the whole time. But I, what you just said there, I can totally see that in him because I've seen him do it many times, cut across or, or make some kind of movement right and go over to a tree and really smell up on it, check it out, and move on. You know, mm-hmm. I, I get tore up thinking, why didn't he tree that? But then again, that's maybe a cold track. The squirrel's not there. So I, I, I don't need to – I've never got on him for that. Um, because if you know he's not making the tree, obviously there's a reason for that, and he, you know he knows what that is. But uh, you just you hit the nail on the head there with, and I'm glad you explained that because I do see that in him. Yeah, and they're typically feist dogs are hotter nosed dog. That's why when you're in a lot of game, you know they look really good. You may if you travel from I'm in here in Alabama and I've got a typical feist, and I drive to Ohio and the wind's blowing and slightly raining or something. In general, your typical feist is going to kind of shut down. It's not going to do anything because it's, mm. it wants the good conditions. That's where the hound or the cur or the tree and cur goes off, and it, it's going to gamble more. It's going to have a stronger nose and just gets treed, whereas the feist dog doesn't. Yeah. Uh, do you hunt uh, – I guess I'm just throwing – I'm, I'm going way off topic off what we were just talking about, but it was just on my mind. Do you, do you hunt public or private land more down there? I live right outside of the WMA National Forest, and I hunt mostly National Forest and okay. public land. Every now and then, you know, we can get on some private land later in the year after deer season, and we can get in some, you know, honey holes that people invite us to every year. But there's a lot of good public land. Where we hunt, not really good as far as the amount of game. Uh, but I think that benefits your dog more because it has to go out and work for the squirrel. I've seen a lot of dogs that hunt in the real thick squirrels all the time, uh, and it's just really good scent conditions. When they leave that area, they don't perform very well because they're used to that. My dog may be off tree and squirrel here, squirrel there, squirrel there, and theirs may be just walking around us yeah. because the scent conditions have to be right. Yeah. And you know, that's another good point. If you're, if you're working with the dog, you don't want to always hunt that dog in the best condition. Don't t- always just take him out on the best days, but that's, that's not always going to be the best days to hunt. You know? That's if you're a competition hunting. Uh, now, if you're a pleasure hunter mm-hmm. and there were several years where I didn't go to any hunts and that's I did, if it was raining, most of your feist hunters, most hunters in general, if it's raining and the wind's blowing sideways, you ain't going hunting, yeah. right? You're going to sit at home, stay warm and watch, watch the ball game and not get sick. Yeah, right. uh, but when you're a competition hunter, you kind of lose your brain and you go out and you hunt the wind, you hunt in the rain, hunt in the snow, and then you get sick. <laughs> yeah, well that's but, uh, that's us. We only we we're too dumb to competition hunt. We just like hunting that. We, much. Do, we do it anyway. Yeah, <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna try it. You know, just see what we can do. But yeah, no, I see what you're saying. Well, we're we're electricians, and so the week during the week is is pretty tough for us. So we've got we got Saturday and Sunday. And so yep, same here. We're, we're going, yeah. you know, and so, yeah. uh, or if we can get in an hour before dark, yeah. you know, if we can get in early enough, we'll go. Yeah. But back to, back to the nose, uh, we was talking about, you know, and a good way to explain that I, before I retired, I was a canine officer and I had a, a trainer tell me one time, he said, the best way I can describe a dog's nose. And if anybody's listening to this, this kind of stuck out in my mind. He said, we smell a pizza. And he said, when you smell a pizza, you just smell a pizza. But he said, when the dog smells the pizza, they smell the salt, the pepper, the onions, the pepperoni, the green peppers. They smell every ingredient on that pizza. And he said, that's how powerful their nose is. So I'm sure that every squirrel smells like a squirrel, but I'm sure a lot of them smell differently. So back, you know, you was talking about your dog tree and those those four squirrels, you know, he, he could tell, Hey, you know, that's uh, yeah, he go over a bite. Yeah. Probably, you know, there's probably a lot of dogs that can't do that or aren't capable of that yet. But I wanted you to talk about that britches dog. Cause that, that dog was uh, in my book, he was amazing. And, and that's exactly what Mr. Jingo told me. He said, every squirrel smells like a squirrel, but just like a person, we all smell like people, mm-hmm. but that's how that dog can go in there and find that one person out of a thousand. Mm-hmm. because yeah. each individual has its own individual smell, just like, I guess, a squirrel. Each individual squirrel does, each coon, whatever you're doing. You know, they have its own individual individual smell and scent. But, you know, Bridges, were, Bridges at that time was a really great dog. I think he probably could compete uh, in some of these hunts. He was, uh, in my opinion, and Ross Vining said this when I hunted with Ross after I'd gotten Bridges. He said, he's gotten better since you got him. I said, what do you mean? 
He said, because you let him go hunt. Mm-hmm. Whereas Mr. Jingo, if he, if he got out of sight, he's calling him back. And so a lot of what I guess would be Rich's faults for competition hunting were kind of man-made, I guess. But I think he could compete with a lot of these dogs. You know, he competed with Kerr's. I took him to Kerr, Kerr and Five Sons. He did really well there. He didn't have that extra gear that some of these dogs now have. But he, he, he was one of those more, he'd check back in with you some. And I could see him if it was just a really bad weather, he could you know, probably quit. He'd yeah. treat squirrels if he kept walking, but he was not like some of these that just go and, but I'd take him, I'd take him again if I could get him <laughs> at two or three years old. Yeah. What's your mass look like down there this year? Uh, we took a trip through the national forest. I guess it's back in August to check all that out. It looks pretty good. We had a hail storm and bad wind storm several years ago, and it really decimated the trees and the acorn crops. Oh. And Squirrel population really just nosedive. We just started getting some squirrels back. Uh, last year it was pretty decent here local, but the, the two years before that it was awful. Me and Kevin would just have to, we'd hunt around here just because we had the land to hunt it. Right. Uh, but if we wanted to actually kill some squirrels, we'd have to travel an hour, two hours, get in some game. And if there's no game, it's, it's tough, can be tough training a dog too. Yeah, um, we ran well, into that last year. Gosh, yeah, there are the, both of us. Got our dogs at the end of last year, and around here, you you couldn't. I mean, you, you could not find one. one. No, no, you, you couldn't grab one up. You anywhere. couldn't find one anywhere. We were looking for them hit on the road, and yeah, <laughs> we were just I trying to find something. something. They were hard to come by. Which brings me to another question. You know, when it's hard to hunt, I know my my little dog. A lot of times, he'll he cuts up the woods pretty good. But for somebody maybe looking for a feist, you was talking about the champ line of dogs. How are they hunting out? They kind of do all of that. I think sometimes from the road hunting that I do. I, I don't want them just staying in the road. I let them get off to the side and let them zigzag. And, mm-hmm. But I want them to keep pushing forward. And so they may, you know, they may go 400 yards, but they've, they've made just this huge zigzag the whole way to get to that 400. Sometimes when you cut a bunch, you know, two or three dogs loose on a cast, though, they, they might run each other until they get to a certain point, and then they may branch off. Mm-hmm. Uh, they may race for 100 yards yeah. and then, then branch off from each other. So... It just depends on a lot of times where you're hunting, who you're hunting with, what kind of dog you're hunting with that may be hunting against your dog, how they, the pattern that they do, conditions, all of that can uh, determine that. Uh, do you have a dog now that you're bringing up through the competition? Do you have anything you're hunting uh, or a, a young pup that you're fixing to get started with? I've, I've got one. We've got some stuff we got to work with our own. Hopefully we by the end of the season we'll have her going in the right direction and i've got another pup i'm supposed to be getting this litter was born not long ago it's out of a dog that i've had and a litter mate to my ellie may dog so those will be the next ones uh kevin's got a litter mate to one of these dogs uh, we're working so they've got we've got two young dogs and you know right now we're just i'm hunting ellie we'll be hunting juice diamond and a dog named sweet he's the male dog uh, he just won a hunt here in alabama uh, this past weekend oh, okay. uh, we got our dogs got first third and fourth out of the 13 dogs it was an open hunt nice, wow. nice. that's yeah that sounds like you got a full plate with that many yeah my, oh, my oldest dog gator is he's the best dog i've ever hunted with uh he's just you know gotten too old you know we had my lma dog a super super nice dog that's kind of been snake bit at competition hunts before uh, she's lost a couple state hunts in just the last second but most people who've hunted with her really like her she's actually for for two hours she's better than juice or diamond Really? And both of them, both of them were world champions. Right before we took Juice to uh, to the junior world hunt that she won, Ellie had just, com- I mean, completely destroyed her on two or three hunts. I thought, man, I don't know if I want to take this dog up there that hunt. And we ended up taking her up there, and she won. You know, Gator at that time that Ellie was doing that to Juice, Gator would destroy Ellie until Gator was about about eleven for two hours. He would make her look like a fool and then she'd make juice look like a fool and sometimes i won't just judge it on the competition end uh, if me and kevin want to go kill a bunch of squirrels right now we're going to take ellie we're not going to take juice and diamond we can kill a bunch of squirrels with them but ellie's just like a machine you put them especially in thick game she just just pop them one right after another did you raise gator and ellie no i got gator from willard crumpton same guy i was telling you about that uh got uh juice back from mm-hmm. willard had gotten him started in his training pen he was started but he had a lot of work that i had mm-hmm. to do with him as far as polishing him up uh, he was a, a joy to get going you know mm-hmm. he was a started dog but 
training him and breaking him all this stuff. I only took one session of electricity to break him off a deer, and the next time a deer <laughs> ran in between him and a tree, and he stayed there on the tree, which is pretty hard for a dog, any dog to do. Oh, a deer yeah. runs right in front of him. Yeah. Uh, most any dogs want to run a deer like that. He's got had an outstanding nose. It's probably it's probably better than uh, Rich's nose as far as just the winding power that he had. That's uh, and he he put a lot of that into Juice. She's a like a perfect split between her mom and daddy, uh, Nanny and Gator. And her mama uh, has won some state hunts. She was reserve state champion at the Open. Alabama State Hunt, and she and Juice were in the finals of that open Alabama State Hunt two years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. So two feist dogs. Then last year, Ellie was reserve state champion for the Alabama State Hunt, and then Diamond won the Georgia State Hunt. Oh. I love hearing that. And if, if you don't care to hit on it just real quick, we get a lot of questions uh, maybe on Messenger or something after we do a podcast, and if you don't care to hit on it, when you say you took Gator and just kind of polished him up a little bit. What what were the some of the things that you were working on there? First thing is I hunted the hair off of him. I mean, I, I had him and his sister, older sister, Tinny, which was my first champ dog. Uh, that's the only two dogs I had at that time. And I mean, I hunted, hunted, hunted. I had retired britches at that time, and I'd given another dog, Rich's younger brother, Dusty. I'd mm-hmm. given him to Ross Vining to hunt. He ended up uh, getting out of the pen, getting killed. He was a real nice dog as well. But, I mean, I hunted and hunted and hunted him. I think I killed about 600 squirrels to him that year. Good day. Okay. okay. I have, I, it was either, I think it was 600. I been, yeah, I think it was 600 squirrels. It's been a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, I've, got, I've got that written down somewhere. Yeah. And that was not just hunting in, like, South Georgia or where there was a bunch of squirrels. Mm-hmm. I was hunting up in these hills and mountains. But at that time, I would have Friday, Saturday, and Sunday that I could hunt. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, if we had an off day or a holiday, I could hunt in the week as well. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I was in the woods with him, him and Tenny. And that's all I did. I hunted Friday morning, Saturday, or Friday afternoon, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon. It was almost like work, yeah. you know, yeah. doing it. Uh, and then I got some pups off of Tenny that same year. And, you know, it was, I had to get them in the woods too. So I was hunting two or three pups plus Gator and Tenny. Mm-hmm. Those are the dogs that I could kill squirrels with, and then once I got those pups started killing squirrels with them too. Now, how old was Gator when you when you actually got him out of the pen and started hunting him? When I got him from Willard, he wasn't two yet. I remember the first time I cut him loose was on at my uncle's place, and I mean he tore off. He was going twenty five miles an hour down the road, and I thought, "Golly, come <laughs> on, I'm gonna tear my truck up He's following a, this guy." A rocket, and I mean he whipped off the road and like slung gravel looked like a cartoon where they were in one place and the gravel cut up the hill and fell tree and i thought well goodness i I ran up the hill and i leashed him and uh i looked up and i saw the head of a squirrel and i shot it it was a a baby fox squirrel Hmm. and it fell down and he ate it before i could grab it You, you don't ever you don't really see many baby fox squirrels my old buddy bill douglas he said they suck on their mama's tit till they're seven years old. Yeah. Uh, but you just, most fox squirrels you see are big, big yeah. fox squirrels. You don't yeah. see many babies. Yeah. After that, I mean, I just road hunted him, road hunted him. And uh, I'd have to put him up. At the time, I had a big Chevrolet, and I carried this, one of those big orange, you know, coolers like you see on the sideline in a football game. Mm-hmm. But I'd just unscrew the top, and I'd have to shove his head down in it to make him drink some water and put him in the dog box. Or he'd just keep going, I think, until he's going to kill himself. And then I had a, uh, I've hunted several off of him. I had a daughter of him, him named Cindy that was, a, had that kind of drive. He just, oh, she's going to kill herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ended up, only dog I've run over, I ran over. My Garmin said she was, you know, 70 yards away and I, I backed up to go to her and she just happened to be right up behind the car and I ran over. Oh. Uh, but she was a squirrel champion, grand squirrel champion about everything. But she was that kind of just drive. She didn't have the nose that Gator had, but, but she could, she could go in her prime. As she got older, I quit hunting her like that. Did I kind of do that with all my dogs? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll yeah. hunt one till they're about you know five, and then I want the next one. And so I quit disciplining them and not hunting them as hard and the same. But when she was in her prime, but she would just go and go and go. Oh, yeah. uh, you could road hunter and she'd stay about twenty miles an hour all day. That's crazy. That's, that's some, yeah, that's some that's... fast moving dogs. Do your uh, face dogs? Do they jack the tree? Are they are they jumping on the tree or are they pretty much Staying grounded? Or? Uh, somewhat. 
you know, it depends on what you mean by jacking. Now, some dogs run and jump up the tree, mm-hmm. but they might bounce. They might bounce around the tree. Yeah, uh, but they're not trying to run run up the tree like I, some vice dogs I've seen. That's I didn't what know. I consider jacking. Yeah, I didn't know if that was something you had to work on to correct, or you know, I've always I've always heard it said if they're doing that, they're not barking. I've only had one that I tried to train that was off of a, a really good cross off these champ dogs, and that was the only one I ever saw like that. She would she might bark, but most of the time she just run run up the tree and bounce off of it. I thought this is weird. It was the only one that I ever had that did that. But I've seen it in other lines. All of them have a dog that that does stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When you start line braiding, you know, you'll start seeing certain traits come out, and every once in a while you'll get, you know, one that might have some bad traits, and that's the one you don't ever want to breed. And uh, you hear more and more about the line breeding. I think that's kind of the direction things are going, it sounds like. And uh, um, I guess it's, from what I hear, that's breeding more to consistency than anything. But a lot of good dogs are coming I, out of it. All of mine are heavy, quick, champ line bred. Yeah. I don't have any outcross. I've got... What I would do as far as if I'm on outcross, if I've got a dog off a gator and another line, you know, I'm breeding to that dog as my outcross because it's got some extra stuff in it and then right back into this uh, champ stuff. Well, Andy, we've kept you on here quite some time. If you don't care, we'll go ahead and, and end the podcast real quick. Unless you, Do you have anything else that you want to let people know? Uh, no, I guess if they want to ask me something, they can ask me directly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm just, you, uh, there's, some, there's some other good guys out there y'all need to get on here. Uh, yes. Maybe Kent, Nisley, and Wade Hildebrand. Y'all get them on there because they've got two dogs that have won multiple world hunt. Yeah. To me, this is kind of like history being recorded. And I, I, I was so glad when they finally, one of them got Danny Williams on there. Yeah. Yes. Uh, we listened to that the other day. Yeah, that's, you, uh, that's, 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 I, yep. I, I don't know Wade, but I know Ken from talking to him. And, um, man, that's one thing. And that's about the feist dogs. He's that. that I would like to, to get that out there for people to hear his story and, you know, how how that came to be and just you know, keep record of it. You know, these podcasts are going to be around for a long time and let these people that are interested in it, you know, hear the story and, and hear what's going on. These podcasts, a lot of people think, uh, you know, it's basically talking on the phone. You know, we can edit out anything we want <laughs> oh, yeah. to. And, it's, just uh, a, it's just a phone call. Is yeah, it it's, it's just a phone call. It's not, it's not a big deal. and. So we've got we've got a few people coming up in the future that's never done one before, and I'm I'm looking forward to to interviewing them. But uh, man, I thank you so much for coming on here tonight. Because like I said, we want to get uh, we want to get more feist dog guys on here. It seems mm-hmm. like uh, it's it, been a good one. Yeah, it's yep. been great. But, well, hopefully, they'll realize you know this more, just like a conversation instead of an interview. I think that kind of gets a lot of them thinking. Oh, man, I don't want to be interviewed. It's, yeah, I it's think just like that's... me and you sitting down. It's like me and you sitting down at a hunt talking at the table. Right, yeah, right. And so, and that's what uh, we usually think, try to tell guys is, you know, we'll talk to them on the phone, mm-hmm. and uh, and they'll be like, "Well, I don't know, if, I don't know if anybody really wants to hear anything I've got to say, and and mm-hmm. all this." And by the time we get done talking on the phone, you know, we get ready to hang up. I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't know, if, I just want to tell you this: we've got three quarters of an episode of a podcast <laughs> right here that yeah. you know, if we had recorded yeah. it, you know, that's all it was is just sitting yeah. down and talking. But I'm gonna. I don't know when Ken's birthday is, but I'm going to send him some flowers. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll address him to Pig instead yeah. of Ken. I don't want to get I don't want to get him mad at me. <laughs> yeah. But uh, oh man, Andy, I thank you so much. If you can't hang on for just a minute, we'll talk to you. But guys, thank you so much for tuning in, and be sure to tune in next week. God bless you. Guys, thanks for listening. Please take time to follow me on Facebook and Instagram and tune in next week for another show of Treat Up Podcast.